Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Thanks to the MET Conference for sponsoring this episode. The MET Conference is an online educational opportunity airing March 4th through 5th of this year, 2023. They've got six exceptional speakers, including Kay Lawrence and Bob Bailey. They're offering over 18 hours of learning and six months of access to the archive so that you'll have plenty of time to watch all of the presentations, even if you can't attend live. But if you can attend live, they're offering a question and answer portion for each lecture. Check out the conference at metconference.com. In the last couple of weeks, there was a social media post going around in which the writer claimed that the modern dog was being, quote-unquote, enriched to death. And they mentioned something like dogs going to the vet to get prescription downers because they were overstimulated all day long by going to daycare and having all sorts of enrichment toys and never being in a crate that didn't have toys in it. And, you know, it went on and on. And... Of course, of course, we can't enrich a dog to death because enrichment seeks to enhance the quality of life for captive animals. Enrichment provides opportunities for our animals to engage in natural behavior. It is defined by its positive outcomes. It's not defined by its procedures. So if any of those things that I listed are causing behavioral concerns for those dogs, those things don't qualify as enrichment. So enriched to death is in and of itself a misnomer. One of the other things mentioned and one of the things that was kind of agreed with most in the post was that dogs are not being taught to relax And that dogs have lost kind of their ability to relax by our constant kind of inundating them with activities and stuff to do. And in reality, the real issue is, you know, once again, and I am a broken record here, the real issue is that dogs' basic needs are not being met. And actual enrichment provides those needs. It seeks to meet those needs. And if it isn't meeting some basic needs, it isn't enrichment. Because again, it's defined by its outcomes. And so if a dog's basic needs of exercise, you know, ability to move their body, cognitive, social, food-based, scent-based enrichment opportunities, communication with their human caregivers, excellent nutrition, And of course, yes, rest. If those things aren't being delivered to our captive animals, which are our dogs, then we are going to see maladaptive behaviors. We are going to see dogs that are overly reactive. We are going to see dogs that might be experiencing anxiety. We are going to see dogs who, yes, cannot settle. But the truth is that I think this post is a response to the... Band-Aid consumerism that is a response to 
our dog's basic needs not being met. And that Band-Aid consumerism is dog daycare. It is plastic puzzle toys in fancy colors. It is even extremely expensive human-grade foods that are delivered to your door. And of course, all of these things can be wonderful. All of these things can be perfectly fine. My dogs eat a highly formulated expensive food that's delivered to my door. They often eat out of brightly colored puzzle toys that I paid money for, for them to have. They do not go to dog daycare, but if dog daycare was a good idea for one of my individuals, then maybe they would. But the point that I would really like to make is that your puzzle toy does not make up for the lack of free running in the woods that your dog actually needs. Your dog daycare does not make up for the lack of true social connections that your dog needs to have, either with people or with other dogs. They're not solitary creatures. And confinement must be sparse. It cannot be most of your dog's day. And so we see this post that's saying we're enriching our dogs to death, when in fact we're trying to make up for the fact that dogs live in our really busy, really confined, consumer-driven lives because they belong to us. And it would be best for them and for us to go take a long meander outside in nature, but we might not have time because we're driven by this capitalist machine and we have to get in our car and go to work. And so we take them to daycare instead. And it'd be really great for them to literally tear apart a carcass and eat it for their dinner. But that's really unsavory to us and not super accessible. And so we shove their food, which probably has a lot of whole foods type supplements, into a puzzle so that they have to work to eat it a little bit like they'd have to work to tear apart a carcass. And all of this is just humans doing their best. We all live here. We are all doing our best. And if you read that post and you felt attacked, rest easy. You're probably doing the very best you can. And if you read that post and you went, yeah, people are doing a bad job, calm down. Everybody's doing the best they can. And if you're listening to this, you probably already really care about providing the best kind of life for your dog. And I applaud you. And I hope that you care about providing the best kind of life for yourself and your family as well. And a few Patreon questions for you. The first one comes from Emily. Emily writes, I have a teenage German Shepherd dog who struggles with overarousal around other dogs. One way I am trying to help him is to go on walks or hikes with friends with calm dogs. After the initial greeting, which is very hard for him, he wants to jump on them slash body slam slash put his mouth on them, which we have been working on. He's just so excited that it makes the walk very unpleasant. He pulls like crazy, will suddenly lunge at the other dog to try to elicit play, and generally acts like a nut. Distance helps the lunging, but does not help the pulling. Will more work on leash manners help? Are these walks counterproductive? 
So Emily, it does sound like the walks are counterproductive. I can't give you an entire plan for this here, but it does sound like the walks are not helping you because the dog is practicing a lot of behaviors that you don't want to see continue. And that's kind of, that's the only question you ever need to ask is, is the dog showing me what I want to see or not? And if they're showing you things that you don't want to see, then your next question is, how can I manipulate this environment so the dog is showing me what I want to see? You just say teenage, you don't mention how young this puppy is. So if the dog is like seven or eight months old, my answer would look one way versus if the dog is 18 months, two years of age, my answer might look a totally different way. Yes, leash pulling, leash manners, that kind of stuff will work, but I would really strongly encourage you to work on teaching this dog a lot of skills a lot of ability to respond to you, a lot of ability to self-regulate. So check out those self-regulation episodes that I've done. And I would do that out of context. I wouldn't necessarily do that around other dogs. And then slowly start to ask him if he can keep his head on his shoulders around other dogs. If he is super young and you are still wanting him to play with other dogs or socialize with other dogs, that is something that I would only do if you're able to curate an environment in which he is not acting like a nut, as you say, because acting like that and then also getting to interact is simply reinforcing that kind of behavior. Best of luck, Emily. Next one comes from Jamie, who writes, I have a two-year-old Border Collie Whippet mix, and he's struggling a bit with being overly aroused by things in the environment. I know, not surprising given his breed mix. I'm changing up some things with him and using more treat scatters for rewards rather than feeding from my hands when we're just out and about in the world and not actively training things. However, he sometimes stops partway through eating everything I've dropped to look around the environment before going back to finish the scatter or moves on without finishing all the dropped food. I know this is because the environment is still a bit too much for him. Ideally, I don't want to use super high value food because I need that information, but would it be okay to use higher value foods uh, to encourage the sniffing behavior? I just worry that he won't bother to sniff and gather food at all if I use kibble and I want to encourage the foraging behavior. Thanks. Jamie added a subnote that she did start using his scatter cue and that that did seem to improve the problem. But Jamie, I'm still going to give my two cents here, which is that if the dog is disengaging from the scatter, probably that is the environment overwhelming the desire to scatter. And you can do a few things about that. So number one, I would continue to use food that is kind of scatter appropriate. I do usually use kibble or like Zeewee Peak types of stuff for scatters. It needs to be something that is worth it to the dog to eat. So something they will eat in this environment. And then what you can do is while they're actively snuffling is you can drop higher value stuff into the scatter. So I will actually reward the act of scattering by dropping better stuff into the scatter. This does not work if you do it when the dog looks up at you, and this does not work if the dog is looking around and has already disengaged the scatter. This only works if the dog is engaged in the scatter, is actively doing the snuffling behavior that you want, and then you reinforce that behavior by dropping the better stuff in. Next one comes from Nisa, who writes, I'm curious about your thoughts on how to help dogs navigate successfully shifting environments in agility. For a bit more context, I'm thinking of my two and a half year old Border Collie, who I plan to start showing soon. We've practiced calm behaviors such as loose leash walking, stationing, pattern games, etc. from an early age in a variety of environments like crowded parks, agility fields, and indoor training facilities. We practice these behaviors every week at agility class, which is an outdoor field with no visual barrier, just a chain link fence. 
We can't calmly hang out right next to the fence while other dogs run agility, but we can do that about five to 10 feet away. In this environment, she's quiet and relaxed in her crate and can eat, respond to cues, and maintain pretty much all criteria I expect of the behaviors I ask for. It's the same thing at seminars we've attended, most of which have also been outdoors or a covered arena. Recently, we were at a seminar with a large field behind the arena where she was able to play with me off leash without ever thinking about leaving to check out the arena and dogs running inside it. The problem I'm having is shifting from mostly outdoor environments to indoor environments as all of our shows happen inside. I know I will have to spend more time attending trials just to train, but do you have any thoughts on out-of-context training that could help bridge this gap? I regret not working in a trial environment when she was younger and didn't understand the game yet, but I'm unfortunately sorry where I lived at the time I didn't have many opportunities with COVID so Nisa the first thing I'm going to say is it doesn't sound like you have an actual problem sounds like you've done a fantastic job it sounds like this dog is really really capable and that you've done an excellent job training and you're probably you know probably part of why you've done such a good job is because you're preempting these problems and these issues and you're heading them off and you're not seeing a way to head off a potential issue here but i would encourage you to ask the dog if it is a problem at all so yes go to a trial just to train and you don't have to go to very many of them go to a trial just to train and ask if the dog can do everything that you say that she's capable of doing in this question that you've written in and if she does then you don't have a problem. And if she has some problems, like she is less able to respond to cues or something like that, then you do know that you're going to need to bridge that gap a little bit. And you can bridge that gap just by doing the stuff in the parking lot, going in, asking a few more questions of her and leaving again. So literally going in and leaving and and just splitting down the time that you spend in there. And also think of all the dials you can turn up or down. You can go in and practice while the people are walking their course or course building so there's not a dog running you can then practice during kind of a less exciting class that is running and you can build up to more and more exciting classes i think you're going to be okay it sounds like you've done a good job all right next one is from lauren who writes i have a question about cues i started recognizing some frustration-based behaviors or looks of confusion in my dog who is a year and a half old male field line golden retriever to help this i started putting cues on things like do you want to go train go outside belly rub etc as a whole this has helped reduce frustration most of the time which is great however if i'm not in a position where i can carry out the cue i.e ask him if he wants to go outside and can't take him out at that moment then i omit that one item when i run through the list of options if i skip the thing he wants the frustration behavior starts to reappear i take that as he wants to be offered the thing I didn't list. Thoughts on how to approach this? One, should I list the cue anyway, even if I can't deliver on the promise? Two, if omitting the cue is the right thing to do, do you have suggestions on how to satisfy him when I can't offer what he wants? I'm noticing a pattern that it's related to going outside, but not always. I'm in the process of building a physical fence, so this will be more accessible in the upcoming months, but stuck for now. I've also maxed my ability to get him out for off-leash time, which looks like 30 to 60 minutes in nature, five to six days a week. Do you think it matters if I list the cues in the same order of sequence as a general rule of creating 
predictability. I'm not consistent in my order and perhaps it's a lack of order that causes frustration, not the omission of the thing he wants. Thanks. So Lauren, I admit I had to read this several times to fully wrap my head around what's going on here. Part of it is your use of the word cue. So I'm going to say for everybody listening, essentially what you're doing is you are asking the dog questions. And you're basically, it's not really cues. The way that I think of a cue is I say a thing and that opens the door for you to do a behavior that then earns reinforcement. And what you're asking the dog is basically, do you want X? You're saying, do you want this thing? I believe. If I'm answering this wrong, Lauren, come back into Patreon and tell me. Because what you're asking is, do you want this? Like, you see that the dog would like something and you're asking, do you want outside? Do you want belly rub? Do you want to go train? So things like that. So you're asking the dog what he'd like to do. And you believe that he has learned these phrases, which he may have. And he's sometimes still frustrated or showing you those frustration behaviors that you're trying to avoid with the cueing or with your what you're calling cueing. So a few things. Number one, I want to be clear that I don't do this. I have one word and that word is outside. And it doesn't mean do you want to go out and play. It literally means do you need to go to the bathroom? Like that's what I'm asking the dog. And they learn it over the course of living with me for many years. Essentially, they're kind of bothering me and I will ask them that word. And if they respond in a certain way, like they perk up or head for the back door, I take them out. And it does become a cue for go to the back door or tell me that you want to go outside. And we're going to get way into the weeds there on cueing if I go too deep there. So we're not going to. But I never list a bunch of things for the dog and kind of watch their responses. There are a wide variety of reasons for that. But one of them is what you're running into, which is that you absolutely should never put something on the table that you cannot deliver. If you are not going to take this dog outside, do not say the word outside. Like if I'm on an airplane and my dog is with me, and they're fussing, I'm not going to say, do you need to go outside? Because they might answer my question, but I can't take them outside. So I'm not going to ask them that. I would probably lean towards clarifying everything for this dog in a way that looks more like you deciding what you do versus the dog deciding what you do. Basically meaning when you intend to take the dog outside, say we're going outside and then take him out. When you intend to go train, say we're training now and then go take him training. If you want to use these kind of words to tell him what's going on. That way you're going to provide the clarity that I think you're trying to provide. And I want you to give that a try. Come back. Let me know if I'm not answering this correctly because I didn't understand you. Also come back and let me know. And best of luck, Lauren. The next one comes from Connor. Connor is writing this in response to the February Cog Dog Club. And Cog Dog Club is where I go live once a month for my members and my patrons. So if you are not a member or patron, you definitely missed this and you should come join us because it's a lot of fun. The February Cog Dog Club was called Efficiency in Training. And essentially I was going for you know, fewer reps and bigger gains. And Connor asks, to what extent and in what ways do you feel your dog's relationships with training for food are impacted by your choices regarding reps? Whew, leave it to Connor. This is a big question. Truly, my dogs are really, really good workers for food. And they don't all start out that way, but they all end up that way if they're with me. This must have to do with everything that I do. So of course, it probably also has something to do with this. I don't rep them to death. So if I train you three times a day and each time I'm doing like 50 reps, you are going to get sick of the food that I'm giving you. 
I feed a lot of food in training, but I do a lot fewer reps than I think most people are doing. And so that probably does make my dogs kind of see it as a novelty in more of a way than a lot of people's dogs might. And then the way that my dog's relationship to training itself, whether for food or not, is impacted by my choices here, is is similar. It is novel and exciting, and it is something that they want to be doing. It is important to me that my dogs live in abundance and are not in a state of desperation, but they are in a state of always ready to train. And I think that my choices to do fewer reps and smarter reps for bigger gains probably impacts that as well. And last one for this week comes from Jana who writes, training a dog to be comfortable in a separate room. My dog is fine staying alone at home, being alone in the car, being separated at home behind a barrier, so in sight, and being in a crate in the same room for short periods. It would really be beneficial if he could stay in another room and relax by himself especially since we're expecting a baby, but so far I've not been able to train this. I have tried food toys, building up duration, um, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know how to get a bit of relaxation that I can build on. Generally, Nacho, the dog, has really strong feelings about keeping the pack together. This is also true on hikes, etc. I think this is an issue of wanting to be with the group rather than something separation anxiety related, since being alone is okay for him when everyone is clearly out of reach. And then Jana writes, thanks a lot. Your podcast has been a source of inspiration and knowledge and also an anchor to hold on to when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Somehow you talking nerdy dog stuff really helps me feel calm again. Thank you. Well, Jana, your words there really mean a lot to me. And thank you so much for putting them there. And congratulations on the baby coming. What I want you to do is go look at Happy Crating. So I've got I've got two webinars. I sell them together. It's Happy Crating and Happy Year Crating. And I believe that you have at least one of them. And if you don't, you know, definitely grab those. And what you're going to do is work through Happy Crating but just with Nacho in another room. And that means you're going to desensitize him to this thought. And it's going to start with he's created in a room and he doesn't have to be created either. Like he could be tethered or just hanging out in the room. You're going to treat it exactly the same. And one of the games you're going to do is just coming in and out of the room, doing something else. You need to be doing something else because our doing other stuff thing that humans do, dogs learn really quickly that that doesn't have anything to do with them and it really helps this process. So like do laundry, carry laundry in and out of this room where the dog is and then put the dog in the room, close the door and sit right outside the door and read a book aloud or watch something on your phone that makes noise right outside the door. So you're building up his ability to do that when you're nearby. The other thing that I would encourage is to respect that this is like a really strong desire of his to be close and he doesn't have a huge behavior problem here and allow him to be close with just a visual with just a barrier that he can see through. So you mentioned that he's better with just a gate. I would use a gate then if you can. And especially with the baby coming, you're not going to want to deal with a lot of this and his anxiety about this stuff or his, his desires about this stuff could actually amplify because once the baby's here, you're not going to have as much time for him as you did before. And that's just a fact of life. So Using an X-Pen in the same room or using a baby gate where he can see you is probably going to be a kindness as well that I would just kind of get used to that being a thing in your life as well. So best of luck to you, Jana. And again, congrats. And that's it for this week. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.